Hi there, Phil. How are you doing? Hey, is it Sam? It is Sam speaking. Can you hear me okay? Yep, absolutely. See you now, too. Brilliant. How's it going? Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Thanks for Cheers for the homestead. A little, little morning coffee, little dogs <laughs> on the couch. Well, like I said, thanks again for uh, answering a few questions for us. We've got quite a few. Oh, of course. Thank you. Thank you very much. Great opportunity. As well. So, yeah, well, we always love to talk to people in the industry, and it's a great opportunity to speak with you today. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you. I'll jump straight in if that's okay. Sure. Go right ahead. Cool. So, we'll begin from the beginning. <laughs> so <laughs> how did your career in sound design begin? How did you get into sound design? I. <laughs> This is a good one. This this will kind of like show how far you can go in a short amount of time. I was living uh, for a little while in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and uh, I was working for Enterprise Rent-A-Car at the time. And uh, I was managing one of the offices there, and yeah, totally different life. And Sounds we like ended up yeah ended up renting some vehicles to a production company. We were shooting some commercials up in Santa Fe. I ended up just becoming friends with the guys because I was really interested in what they did, and they they kind of knew that I was interested, and I told them that I would like music and sound and this kind of thing. They're like, well, you have to come to LA. So I went out and visited and I moved out just over a month later. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> just sight, sight unseen, quit my job, just did the whole thing. And uh, I ended up, and this was January of 97, so 16 and a half years now I've been doing this, ended up working uh, at a studio f with a uh, sound designer, Oscar-winning sound designer, Frank Serafini. Oh. Um, he did uh, The Hunt for Red October and the original Tron and oh, wow. Lawnmower Man and those kind of movies. So. Yeah, so uh, I studied under him for a little while, and uh, he basically, it was amazing. He, once I was in, he gave me free reign of the whole studio. And so I kind of like worked on Foley, I worked on mixing, I worked on sound design. I basically just, just I, I was always into music, but I was never, I never really knew that this kind of work really existed. And I thought that when I came out here, I was going to be like a composer doing like film and TV and that kind of work. But as soon as I got into sound effects, I knew I hit the right thing. It was it just it just clicked. It just really really clicked. So, so that was a long story, but it was no, fine. it's a great story though. It's great. No, that's a, such a diverse change from Enterprise Rent a Car, you know. <laughs> exactly, yeah. and it's a great company. I still rent from them, but uh, no, but I, I I love my life so much more now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet. So, I mean, how do you work with Naughty Dog? Are you in house at Naughty Dog, or do you work on a sort of rolling contract? No, I am. Uh, I'm on staff. Uh, there are two sound designers on staff. We're actually both the audio leads. So I'm the audio lead for one of the teams, and then Bruce Swanson is the audio lead for the other team. And he's been there for ten years now. So wow. Yeah. Cool. So, what's your favorite part of being a sound designer? Well, that's a loaded question. <laughs> is it is it playing? Is it Technology is it now? Uh, my favorite part is actually like making things come alive. I guess I think inherently in any, I guess successful career in entertainment, you have to be a, a storyteller. And I love telling stories with sound. I, I have friends who are like directors and video editors and the such, and I'm amazed by what they're able to do by putting together things visually. And they can see how a scene works, and it just doesn't work that way for me. I, I, my brain doesn't work that way. But when I read a script or I look at something or I see animation or I see what's going on, I can hear kind of what's happening. Yeah, I know. And I love trying to have that blank canvas and 
making it come alive in some way and look at trying to get under the subtext and see how see what is the motivation and how what are the what stories are they trying to tell and and how can I provide um, enhancements to that and just and really just kind of make it come alive that's the best part I mean it can be anything from a simple commercial or trailer to uh, 18 hour triple a game <laughs> it's just it's, it's just a lot of fun trying to get under the skin and trying to figure out what's what's going on with that Okay, I mean, so you have obviously worked on films and TV before, haven't you? So do you find it much better working on games than you do in TV and film? Yeah, it's different. I, I love working on both, actually. I've done it all. I've done it from being the intern to uh, being in the Foley stage to wrangling cables to trailers, TV spots, TV shows, movies, games. Uh, I've, I've tried really hard not to be pigeonholed just because I think I saw where the future was kind of happening with a lot of entertainment where a lot of opportunities for a new ground to be broken would be. Yeah. And I mean, linear media is a lot of fun because no matter how, what you do, it always happens the same way. Yeah. And uh, you can really sculpt something. It's like, it's like being a sculptor. It's like getting underneath and digging out the layers and figuring out what you can do to really make it work because that's the way it's going to be. In an interactive medium, uh, the challenge is tenfold because not only do you have to figure out what story you're trying to tell and how you want to uh, get that to your voice to come across, but how the player can mess it all up and try to, <laughs> and try to figure out how to make it sound good in any of those circumstances, at least as close as possible. So yeah, definitely. It's, it's really challenging. The fun is a challenge. Yeah, I mean, it must be a lot more challenging because obviously, um, as I was saying the other day to someone with a film or TV, the, the audio track's always the same. It's always going to be yeah. the same alongside the video, whereas when you have user input on games it's a whole different ball game because you've then got to make sure that no matter what they do, it's going to react and sound just how you want it. Like you say, so it's exactly. It was, it was really interesting. I did a keynote at develop back in 2011 and I interviewed the other audio lead, Bruce Swanson and our audio programmer, Jonathan Lanier, just about, you know, what they felt was the future. Cause I wanted it to be kind of from a naughty dog perspective, not just my perspective. Yeah. And I'm collaborative that way. <laughs> and uh, it was interesting. One of the things that came up and really want, I guess, uh, the viewers or the readers or, uh, you know, other sound geeks like myself to, to really kind of think about this is like with interactive, it's like, we're no longer really sound effects designers, but we're more sound behavior designers. Yeah, yeah. Because if you really think about like how interactive these worlds are becoming, and all these objects and characters and everything have these like unique and very specific behaviors, and it's those behaviors that kind of tell us what the sound should be in a way and how it should react in that world. And that's some of the toughest stuff to do, but it's, it's, it's pretty challenging and fun. Yeah, I can imagine. Though. It, it does sound like the most fun job in the world, I have to admit. It's also one of the hardest. <laughs> Look at those bags under the eyes. They don't come from uh, playing around. Yeah, I can imagine. Was there many sleepless nights worrying about the next day of work and deadlines? And oh, oh, yeah, we definitely there was there was a lot of uh, dreaming about work <laughs> during, during the few hours of sleep that one did have. Well, was there anything that was particularly the biggest challenge of The Last of Us? That well, there were definitely a lot of challenges. It, it was It's a new world. We're trying to tell a story in a really different way, and it's a very cohesive story. So there were a lot of challenges that kind of came across. But I think, I think the biggest new challenge for us was probably, well, there's design challenges, technical, technological challenges. The design challenge, of course, was the infected. We really wanted to 
make these people, and they are people, kind of scary but sad at the same time. And when we were working with uh, Neil Druckmann, our creative director, and Bruce Straley, the game director, on the, uh, the concepts for these, we really wanted to understand that the people were not evil. The infected were not evil. It was the fungus yeah. that was the cause yeah. of the problem. These people were being driven to this madness and to the state. And we really wanted to make sure that the sound came across as, especially for, to the different levels of the infected, of how much humanity was still there within the, uh, the, the person. That's why we try and stay. It's not a zombie game. People always call it zombies, yeah. but it's, yeah. they're people. They're infected. It, this, they're being driven to this inhumane state. You know, in directing the, uh, some of the actors that we did, our senior sound designer, Derek Espino, told them, it was like, okay, imagine that there's a rope tied around you, and as much as you're fighting against it, it's pulling you forward, you know, to try and get this, this feeling of, of pain and unstoppable power behind it. Yeah, to, to drive into what they're doing, but yeah, they're doing it anyway. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. There is a bit of horror, and and we work with and and one of the things that I love working at Naughty Dog is how collaborative it is, and we would actually work with the animators as well. And there's a lot of a lot of head to head with with our with our comrades. One of the things that with that emotion we actually got, and I think you can see this in the game and in some of the pictures, that their eyes kind of get wide like this, like I don't want to be doing this. Yeah. And it just, it, it's, it's a small thing, but it's emotive, and it helps kind of land the player in that spot. Yeah, I mean, the way and, they do it as well is kind of, you can kind of see an internal battle with the way they move, that they're trying to stop what they're doing, but they're still doing it anyway. Yeah, so yeah. I can see where you can And trying to bring that across, yeah, trying to bring those emotions across in sound is a difficult thing when people are used to the tropes of, of, uh, of zombies, yeah. And yeah, I mean, we, 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 we thought early on, there was not like we didn't want any hissing or growling <laughs> or anything. Not that that doesn't have its place. In The Walking Dead, it sounds really scary and awesome. <laughs> but uh, we're not The Walking Dead. We're not uh, Dawn of the Dead. We're not a George Romero movie. You know, it's, we're trying to do something different and uh, tell a different story. Even though, you know, people are familiar with this type of, I guess... Story, but yeah, I mean, just coming up with the different versions of the infected were very different, uh, especially the clicker because that's where we started with, and it was funny because it, there, there was a lot of a lot of concept work being done on the infected. When our our, our character lead uh, Michael Nolan finally came up with the design with the bloom of of fungus that exploded from the head, and there were no eyes. It was there was a very very quick discussion saying echolocation that's got to be it that's how they they track so you know immediately i'm like oh shit <laughs> how are we going to make how are we going to make that interesting and fun and cool and and scary but also bring kind of emotive uh, quality across we worked really hard to think about how we were going to do that and we decided very early on that we were not going to use any type of animal sounds right. whatsoever it was all going to stay very very human as much as possible there's a couple of enhancement sounds, but they're mostly like dry ice and some manipulation of, of vocals. But it's it's all it's all from the human mouth. Yeah, There's nothing. Hands, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. In fact, yours truly here is the male clicker. So are you? Oh, fantastic. Um, yeah. The clicker. It's funny you should mention that. Most of the questions we've had are to do with your inspirations for how the clicker came about and the way you did it. So it's obviously become an icon for the game as its most 
fear-inspiring creature, I believe. Because yeah. obviously it is quite a scary one because it's part of the, the moment where you, you can barely move, you can't make any noise, and even when you do, yeah. you've got to run for it or you've got to throw a noise somewhere else and run away. <laughs> so it's definitely yeah. one of the scariest creatures in the game. So, I mean, one of our readers' questions, actually, from uh, Haley in Huddersfield, she says, what inspired you when creating the clickers and how did you actually go about it in depth? There was, there was definitely a lot of travel, you know, to get there. It's interesting because uh, we think about it, we finally came to the point of where, okay, this is going to be echolocation, so what is it going to sound like? And you start thinking and you start making clicks with your mouth and snapping sounds. We actually did a lot of research in human echolocation, and there, there are uh, some extremely talented people who have no sight that are able to cre- do echolocation. I, I don't have the websites with me, but there, uh, there's some people that, you know, use their hand but there are some people who have learnt to use uh, a broadband kind of like click like that with their mouth uh, and get the information back and just like bats or dolphins they'll do if they if they know something is closer they'll do kind of a a shorter tighter like kind of a click kind of thing kind of thing like that where they can figure it out we were we were doing some research on this and we were like okay so the science is there and okay, that's great. But, and doesn't really sound scary. It doesn't really emote this kind of fear that these things uh, are, are, are sending out. And we were, we were just like thinking Derek and I were just thinking like, okay, well we've tried a few things. It's not really working so well. So why don't we hire some really awesome vocal talent? to just for a couple of hours per person, we hired four people and we, we went to a studio and said, have at it. Do it. We, here's, here's a couple of different, here's some runners, here's some stalkers, here's some clickers, bloater, do come up with some stuff. And this actress by the name of Misty Lee came up with this sound, which just Derek and I looked at each other and we were like, Oh God, this is it. <laughs> and it's, it's this inhaling kind of inhuman Kind of just, I'm going to do it here. I don't know how it's going to come across, but it's kind of like, <laughs> and that's not a very good one. But I mean, she just made the sound, and she was able to do it, and it doesn't really destroy your throat so much. So we were able to get a lot of it, and I found that I was able to kind of emulate it uh, once we were back in the studio, and that tearing kind of the the in the inhale against the vocal cords which causes that that tearing and popping yeah we were able to yeah. isolate that and separate it out and manipulate that and those each of those mixed with some you know kind of like and kind of mouth sounds and yeah. things that create the wetness and the the tone of the mouth are what became the clicks and we just we we just kind of like separate them out and just kind of went back and forth and we worked I mean we, we collaborated heavily with Neil Neil Druckmann the creative director on this and we we wanted to make sure that they did sound human with that but we didn't want them to sound witchy shrieky yeah. uh, cackly screamy any of these kinds of things that we we didn't want them to to be kind of a horror trope kind of like. Bleh! We didn't, you know, because we went there, of course, you know, there was ideas of, of trying to do that, but it didn't, didn't really pan out. It was, and this is probably the single design statement of the entire game is that less is more. Yeah. And the less that was there, the less 
because the runners were still very human and just, you know, and kind of hurting and like, ah, ah, you know, kind of in that kind of yeah. mo- moment, we went, we started with the clicker, which was, they've pretty much lost their humanity by that point. And they can't see, and they're just, they're being motivated to just hurt and spread and, and maim and kill. And, and once we found that the less was more, the, it just became horrific sounding. It, it just, it became scary and it, it just worked. Once we hit that, and we were doing focus tests this whole time. Once we hit that, we got a lot of feedback yeah. from the focus test players like, uh, I shit my pants. <laughs> uh, so I thought we were on something. Yeah, so. definitely worked. I mean, it's funny you should mention silence really because it's really a key factor and really skillful use of silence you've used in that game, isn't it? Because there's so much silence that you do get enveloped by it. So that when there is a noise, yeah. it definitely grabs you and literally knees you in the balls, pretty much. It <laughs> pretty much grabs you <laughs> and shakes the you. The weight of silence. See, that was quite an inspiration for the, the soundtrack and the soundscape, wasn't it? it was the, the whole less is more, as you say. Yeah, um, we, were, we were really influenced by movies like No Country for Old Men, Road to Perdition. There was amazing use of silence in that film. We were looking at the core mechanic of being tension. It's yeah. not horror. It's not, you know, adventure, it's tension. And scenes like in the hotel room of No Country for Old Men, when Josh Brolin is sitting on that bed and the other character is out in the hallway, and you're just listening and there's almost nothing there. It's just, you, you literally see people leaning forward in their seats to try to, to get to that. Yeah. And we really felt that there was something special in that. And it was something different for games because most games are about more, more, give me more, give me more information, give me more sound, give me more visuals, have everything right there for the player to make their, their decisions and everything. And we just kept stripping that away and stripping it away. As a sound designer, as someone who comes from post and also I've done a lot of mixing and, and, I mean, the, the, the single most important aspect of, of learning to be a mixer is it's the art of reduction. Yeah. It's not adding stuff, yeah. make it louder. It's reducing. That was something that I've always wanted to do in a game. And Neil and Bruce really let me own it in, in this one. We, we really came at this as kind of a feature film mix where we wanted to think about how we could set the mood, set the tension. And a lot of that was pulling sounds away, pulling what was, wasn't necessary. I worked heavily with the, uh, the music production guys from Sony, Jonathan Mayer, who's the music producer manager, and Scott Hanau, who's the other producer and the integrator. And we, we had a lot of discussions about you know, not going up there because they do the music for Uncharted as well. Yeah. And so that is, it's, you know, it's like, it's very epic. It's very, you know, Indiana yeah, Jones, like lots of <laughs> themes. Yeah, and which is great. It works for that game. Oh, yeah. It's awesome. But for us, it was like, okay, what can we not say with that? What can let the player in their mind fill in the blanks? And that that was that was amazing. It was it was so much fun to, to play with that and to try to achieve that. It was very hard technically as well because. Think about it. A lot of times we deal with memory issues in, in games. We deal with limitations. We deal with technology, which basically just messes up sound. 
we hide those things a lot of times in the music, in the bombastic moments. And that's just by necessary, not because we want to, but that's just the necessary evil of games, at least right now. We'll see what the future has to hold. In this game, you couldn't hide anything. One of the things that we really wanted to achieve was the fact that sound did things in the world. It actually lived in the world. And in post, you'll let a sound play out, you know, the little dust settle and those kinds of things. When you have memory issues, you have to try and make things as small as possible. And we really weren't able to do that and have it sound good. So there was a lot more detail in this game. We actually ended up with probably about three times the amount of sound as Uncharted 3 with about the same, with same memory footprint. So That's quite a lot. There was a, yeah, talk about technical challenges. There were, there were a lot of technical challenges in this game. It's funny you mentioned Uncharted, really. That was one of our other questions of how much different it was to work on The Last of Us compared to Uncharted. I mean, was the main difference, as you say, there was just a need for a lot less? Because obviously Uncharted is a very action front game. You you jump in and you can go right in if you want to, whereas The Last of Us almost punishes you in a way if you try to do the run and gun approach. It it doesn't quite work. So obviously this action-packed, just constant roller coaster of action all the time compared to this. I mean... What, is that the main difference, just the lack of everything else, or what was the, the main difference for you? Well, the main difference, I mean, there's. I, I was a senior sound designer on Uncharted 2, so I worked under Bruce Swanson, who was the audio lead on that project. Yeah. Bruce and I have a lot of the similar ideas about sound, and he also comes from feature film. So we, we look at things on a holistic level of, like, what's the story we're trying to tell? What, what is the player trying to feel at that moment? What is the director wanting us to focus on? Uh, you know, those types of, of issues. It's the same thing as, as post-audio. And uh, even though Uncharted is still kind of a realistic world, it's hyper-real. And so you're, you're trying to bring this sense of adventure. And even though Nate is like, or Nathan Drake is like, you know, kind of the everyman, <laughs> he, he has specific abilities to, uh, to, to, to jump and, and leap and avoid, you know, and, and it's, it's about these big pulp moments, you know, towers crumbling and, and gunfights blazing and, and creatures and, and, or maybe not, if not creatures, just some kind of, you know, supernatural being and, and bridges always collapsing and, and uh, these, these big moments. And so you try and sell the danger, you try and sell all these things that you want to feel in a summer blockbuster. And it's fun to work on that stuff because then you keep trying to like top yourself, right? Of each, each setup. And we had a lot of fun doing that. And it was, it was great. In The Last of Us, it was much different where we tried to strip that down. And even though there were, there were a couple of epic moments in the game, it, it was almost like what you didn't hear was more important. Yeah. It's funny because we went from what I was considering kind of like kind of Uncharted being a realistic sounding game in a way where it's in a, in a real world setting. It's not sci-fi. It's not whatever. Um, to something that was even more grounded uh, with The Last of Us. And that was much more of a challenge because everything stands out. 
everything can be picked out, everything can be noticed from, you know, picking up a bottle of, of alcohol to a pipe to the wood falling on the ground to dust settling to everything. There's so much more room to hear it in the world. And it's supposed to be a very believable, grounded world. Joel can't leap and jump and, and do these things. He's very much just a regular Joe who's had to survive for 20 years. So we, we really had to strip it down. And the challenge was trying to make it more accessible, more relatable to the player. That in itself is, is, is a real challenge. So we, we did a lot of real world Foley. We did a lot of real world recording, a lot of real space recording, um, things that really tried to make it grounded in this world. Yeah. I mean, it's funny you mentioned sad as an emotion earlier with the infected because I mean it seems to be a running theme quite often, isn't it? The sadness and the emotion within the game. One of, one of our questions from Jimmy in Huddersfield as well actually relates to that. He says, "How did you find it creating the perfect atmosphere with the music to go along with the emotional storyline?" Yeah. So early on, because I was on this project since August of 2010, so almost three years. We had we, we kept like this folder of music that we were inspired by. And we were looking at different movies and different soundtracks, which kind of made us feel a certain way. And early on in the process, Neil and I kind of coined the term uh, hopeful melancholy <laughs> because you, you, this was a sad world. This was a dis- destroyed, a desolated world from this infection. Humanity is, is on the decline. And, but, you know, with the story we were trying to tell, we wanted, it's a story of redemption in a way. We, we really looked at different composers and what they were able to bring to the table. And it's funny, we had like myself, Bruce Swanson, Neil, Bruce Straley, all these people like putting music together. And in almost every single one of our folders that we had, Gustavo Santaolio was, was in there. Right. And he, I mean, he's, he won two uh, Academy Awards, one for Babel, one for uh, uh, Brokeback Mountain. But he also worked on other shows and TV and movies which used his music beautifully. And it just had this gut-wrenching, heartstring-pulling, right-to-the-core quality to it. it. It's stripped down. It's just, you know, it's just him and his Ronroco or his guitars or, or bass. It just had this really great tone to it. And we also were influenced by things like No Country for Old Men, where I think there's probably about 17, 18 minutes of music in the entire movie, and five to six of those is the end credits. Yeah. Um, and most of that was hidden. And we just went for it. So we, we had our music uh, group, uh, the Sony music group, reach out to Gustavo and set up a meeting. He got the pitch for the game, and he actually told Neil, I'm working on this. And it was, it was great because we were, it, he was our hope beyond hope, right? He was the guy, he was our brass ring up there that, that we would be able to get. And he had been approached by other games in the past and he had turned them down. But something about this story resonated with him. And he, he got it just like that. He hit it just out of the park with everything that he provided to us. And it was, it was beautiful, beautiful work. So it was a great working relationship. It, it, was, it was really easy to work with his music to fit into the soundscape. So, Yeah, I mean, they do gel together rather well. So you can tell straight away that he was on, on par with the way you were thinking straight away because it all Absolutely. interlinks so well. 
Yeah. And uh, actually, uh, a funny piece, the, uh, the first piece of music he delivered to us actually became the theme. It was that, it was that strong of a relationship. Wow. It's not often you hear so, it straight away with a with a theme tune. Yeah. Yeah. He he's just an incredible talent. Just an incredible talent. Cool. Jumping back to the sound design team part, um, how many were you overall on the in the sound design team? Early on, it was just me and one other sound designer and an integrator. But as the world grew, as everything grew, more and more and more. Uh, double, double the size of an Uncharted game. When we, when we were finally looking, we were looking at like a 16-hour game. We actually grew to a team of, let's say, what was it? Uh, internally, uh, one, two, three, four, four to five sound designers internally, two integrators, two dialogue scripters, a dialogue supervisor. <laughs> but we also, uh, we also contracted Sound Deluxe DMG, uh, led by Scott Gershon, to do our cinematics and uh, our Foley work. They have great Foley stages and really, really talented people. So they, uh, we worked with uh, our supervisor at Sound Deluxe with Shannon Potter. And her and I just have a, a really awesome working relationship. We just get each other. They really, they also just bought into the whole world, the whole idea, and they just knocked it out of the park. Working with them on the cinematics and getting them all the material and, and having them deliver the material and making sure that our, our mixes were in sync or in line with the gameplay, just so it's almost a seamless transition through the world, was really, really important. So we had, we had a few people on their team, and then we also... At the very last minute, trying to get all the last-minute stuff in, uh, we basically contracted a lot of people from the Sony production development sound team, their internal service team, to help out. Okay. So cool. it, was, it was quite a large team at the very end to, to get it all in. Constantly growing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's one of the great things, and, that's, and not, I'm not trying to be a fanboy here or start anything, but one of the great things about working for a team like Naughty Dog, which is owned by Sony, is the fact that we have these really great resources. Yeah. And, and these, these guys and girls who work in the Sony PD sound team really understand what we're trying to achieve. So we can hand them off material and give them certain instructions or give them certain direction, and they just provide it because they know what we're trying to do. They understand the concept. They understand how it fits into a game. And that's really a big part of, of sound designing for games is really understanding of how it all works together. So it's, it's, it's a, it was a huge help because you could just drop it in. You could break it up to its uh, components if you needed to to get that in interactiveness and just make it work. So, I mean, how do you delegate within a sound team? I mean, do you just kind of give them certain sections of the game or do you just all kind of collaborate on the same bit for a while? Ultimately, I mean, my, my job normally at any other company is called audio director, uh, the official term in Naughty Dog is audio lead. But right. So my job is pretty much responsible for anything that comes out of the speakers. So early on, I'm, I'm working with the directors and working with the other leads and figuring out what needs to happen, how it should sound, give it a direction, give it a, give it a kind of a base. And I, I did some of the sound work myself. I probably did too much sound work on the team. <laughs> once, once we understood the, the scope 
and we started bringing people on, it was important that I had key people that I could work with that also understood vision, understood what I was looking for, understood what the directors were looking for. So we have a senior sound designer on the team. First, we had Steve Johnson, who did uh, Journey. He is an amazing guy who's left gaming at this point. I love him to death. Hopefully he's here this hi. And then I brought in Derek Espino afterwards to be the senior sound designer. So he was kind of in charge of the sound design of the vision for the game and working with the other sound designers and making sure they delivered everything that was necessary for the levels, whether it was ambiences, the Foley, in-game cinematics, all these these bits in the world, including including all over 320 bumpable physics items <laughs> that are in this world that can make sound. That was crazy in itself. And then uh, I worked with Jonathan Mayer, who's our music supervisor yeah. on it. And so he was, it's his job to make sure that all the stuff from Gustavo comes in. It's all creative. It all fits Neil's vision. It all fits the game's vision. And then working with him and Scott to make sure it's integrated within the mix. And then working with Jimmy or James Barker, our dialogue supervisor, who worked directly with Neil on the script and making sure he was at the dialogue shoots, both motion capture and ADR in studio, and making sure that the dialogue sits where it needs to do, be at all levels across the game as well as localization. <laughs> so you, it, the idea is, the idea is, as a lead, you want to surround yourself with key people who you can trust, who you can delegate to, who you can make sure fulfills the overall vision of the, the product that you're trying to make. Delegation at that point can come easy because you have people who understand, who get it, who get you, who get what you're trying to do, and you can work with them collaboratively. It's not like, you go do this, you go do that. It's more of, they, they understand, and they bring their A-game to the table. And you can work with them collaboratively and back and forth, so you, you get like the best product. Everyone is invested to such an extent that they, that they love what they're doing, and they, they get it. And so you're getting that level of interaction from every angle, which just makes everything work better. So, but yeah, I mean, to, to more things, some people, like, it wasn't necessarily levels coming online. I mean, yeah, there was a kind of a rolling beta and gold status for each of, of the areas of the game. So yeah, we kind of like worked on it that way, but everyone had more of like their purview to work on. It wasn't uh, like, okay, you know, you're working on that level, you're working on that level. It was more of like, this person is in charge of like environmental audio and ambiences and this person's uh, working with the Cinemax and this person's in charge of the infected yeah. and making sure that it's working. And yeah, the, yeah, the, there were, we had Derek and myself worked on the infected originally. And then we hired well, I wouldn't say hire. He was he works at Sony, but his name is Eric Ocampo, and he's just this really awesome sound designer who we just said, "Okay, okay, buddy, you're finishing the Infected, go." <laughs> and he just he hit it out of the park. I mean, that was pretty much his job from the time he started on the project to very literally the very end, because there were so many animation changes, so many moments and behavioral changes through the artificial intelligence and the animation that had to be upkept that he was swallowed by that the entire time. So, Relating to that endpoint there, I mean, for other aspiring sound designers and people like myself, when you assess whether you're going to hire someone to be on the sound design team, I mean, how do you go about that? How would you pick someone to be on your sound design team? <laughs> well, it depends what level I'm going to hire them at, whether it's senior, regular, junior, or kind of assistant level. More than anything, I think... 
I think I'm looking for someone who's ha- who kind of just gets it. Like they may not have the best sound library at their hands, but they understand how sound is put together. Yeah. They understand how to tell a story. They understand subtext. They understand editing. You know, there's there's a technical and there's a creative. Technical, you can kind of get there, but if you don't have the creative, it's really hard to get there. Yeah. So you're you're looking for people who who kind of understand how to tell a story through sound and how to make something with very little who are ingenious. It's, it's, it's kind of a gut <laughs> instinct as well. It's like you can kind of, you, you kind of can tell when someone understands what's going on. You can understand when someone's shining you on. I like seeing raw talent in people. I like helping mold that talent and giving them ways to push themselves to succeed because I think in my career, I learned by doing yeah. and I didn't go to school for this. And I know a lot of people did and I'm not taking away from any of that. I wish I did. I wish I would have known about that. I grew up in Dallas, Texas where there was no school for sound effects or anything yeah. else. And, you know, and even doing music, my parents were like, Oh, that's great. You have a real job. You can have your hobby kid. You know, I was, that's just the way it was. Yeah. Um, and so I went to school for like business and psychology and stuff like that. But psychology definitely helps in telling a story. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> and being in business doesn't help. You know, I get screwed over in contracts. <laughs> I felt like I was very lucky that I learned by doing. In fact, you know, I would be put, my, put myself in situations where I could fail. Right. Because either I was going to succeed or I was going to totally screw up. It would, I would have to push myself to that extra level for that understanding, for that, that technical grasp, for the uh, making sure that it sounded good. I had to push myself a little harder than other guys who'd already been there for a while or uh, who went to school for this sort of thing. So I, I, really, I really respect raw talent people. And you can see it. I mean, there are people out there on YouTube who basically, you know, take a trailer or take a bit of a show or a movie and like recut the sound. You can tell who has got the concept down and who doesn't. Yeah. And they, they may not have the best sounds in the world. They may just be downloading sounds off sound dogs, MP3s, or taking stuff off whatever and using it. But they get the concept of telling a story. They get the concept of timing. All these types of things that you look for as, as somebody who could bring something to the table. I think that's, that's really what it comes down to. So uh, resumes are great, but it's the reels. It's what they can do. It's what they can, what they can show you. I love seeing people that have talent, and, and it's, it's great. Excellent. I mean, this next question kind of ties in with the reader's question as well. We've got uh, Lawrence in Leeds who's asking about the technology you use and whether you adapt to the new technology as it comes out or whether you stick with old methods. But I also wanted to ask you what software you use and how you integrate all your sound design into it and what you use to make your sound design. I mean, if you can tell us, obviously. No, sure, sure. As far as moving with technology and moving those kinds of things, I, I think, especially today, you have to keep the razor sharp. And that's, a, that's an old term because we don't <laughs> cut razors anymore. And you have to keep the razor sharp. You've got to keep yourself ingrained in what's happening technology-wise. You have to keep the trends, not meaning that you have to be bleeding edge by any means because you have to have an understanding of what you're trying to achieve. You can spend thousands of dollars in software and, and pro tools and, and kits and everything else. But if you don't have the concept in your mind of how it gets put together to video, then you're going to fail. Yeah. So 
it, it really comes down to that. Technology is a tool. At Naughty Dog, we really believe that technology can be used creatively, but it ultimately is a tool. It's what you have in your heart, what you have in your mind is is what really kind of makes it come alive and 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 makes it great for the player. Technology wise, I mean we we're, we're a Pro Tools studio, all Pro Tools studio, five one seven one for surround mixing. I mean we've got without going through a laundry list, we go we have a variety of plugins that we use. We try to work creatively in those situations. We do a lot of field recording. That's a big part of it, is coming up with the right sound that you want for what you're trying to achieve. There's a lot of internal tools we use to get the stuff in the game. We're, we don't use middleware. We use Sony proprietary tools of Scream, and they're, they're sent Boomerang on the PS3. So we do, we do a lot of stuff in-house. We have, and I can't say this enough, for any game sound designers out there, anybody who's working in games right now, I cannot say enough how important it is to have a very competent, competent and creative audio programmer on your right. team. It's, it's a luxury, to say the least, because there's a lot of teams that don't have it. And we are lucky to have one of the greatest guys, Jonathan Lanier, as our audio programmer. He brings so much to the table as far as me going and sitting at the game going, wow, I, just, I really need to hear this. This needs to work in this way. And he'll sit there and we'll, we'll go back and forth and sometimes argue horrifically. <laughs> but ultimately, he will make something that exceeds my expectations on what we're able to achieve technologically for sound. We don't lean on the, the software and the tool side. We kind of we roll our own for the most part for what we need to achieve because we're trying to tell a very specific story. We're trying to tell a very specific gameplay mechanic or audio mechanic and to create this uh, dynamic range that we had in the game and make it work really well. We rolled our own some of our own environmental audio technology to make it happen. Actually, Jonathan wrote more code on The Last of Us than all three Uncharted's combined. So there was, there was a huge amount of technology that went into making this game sound as good as it does. And I, I have to admit, I, I'm a little biased, but I'm extremely proud of what we were able to pull off with this. It, um, it is an extremely immense soundtrack. And I mean, not, not saying there's no bugs out there, there's no, but you, know, you can't make everything perfect in, in, with, with code. But thank you, uh, by the way. But uh, it's... The team, the team really just knocked it out of the park in every sense of the word. We, I think we made something that, that is kind of like my dream gig as far as like making sound for a game. It, just, it really just came together and fired on all cylinders. So. That kind of answers my other questions, um, which would be what would be your <laughs> ideal project to work on. But uh, it sounds like you've already found it. So. Yeah, I mean, uh, this, 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 was, this was an amazing project. I mean, yeah... I, Creatively, there's there's other things. You know, as a sound designer, you're like, oh, I want to make the best laser. I want to make the best gun. I want to make the best explosion, and these kinds of things, right? But um, you, you try and challenge yourself in different ways. That you know, you're like, oh, how do they do that? You know, and you listen to other guys, and I'm I'm constantly, constantly encouraged and driven by what other sound designers do and the sounds that they make and the, and the mixes that they come up with and yeah. I love mixing I love doing sound effects editing and and trying to come up with different ways of doing things and I I'm constantly just amazed by the the progress that we're making in our industry I all I want to do is be a part of like trying to improve upon that and just keep growing the level of of creative and technical prowess 
for games and, and making it making these worlds come alive because there's so many different games, whether they're the smallest mobile game up to the biggest AAA game, that are trying to tell these really, really cool stories. And audio can be a really, really big part of that. To any game producers or directors or anything else watching this or getting hold of this at some point, it's like work with your audio team, you know? Uh, listen to them, collaborate with them, really kind of get them involved early on. Let them help you tell the story because that's what we do. And it's, it's, it's really, really important to, to have that kind of working relationship. Definitely. I think you can tell when the visual and audio have worked together as opposed to here's the visual, yeah. do what you need to do with it. And then it comes back. Yeah, exactly. So it's not reactive. And that, and that, that I think comes as part of the name. It's like sound effects. Yeah. You know, it's like it's very reactive kind of a, of a deal. And yeah, there is a certain part where we have to see the visuals first or we have to understand the story first, whatever. But we can have, if we're in early enough, we can help describe that. There's a really good, a good example in Billstown in The Last of Us. Ellie and Joel make their way into this old pizza parlor and there's a video game cabinet there. And early on, I mean, Neil had written this awesome little little ditty about, you know, how she was talking about, oh, I've heard about these video games and this character, and she does this. And originally, she just kind of stood there, kind of looking at it, and Joel just kind of stood there. And I worked with Mike Yosh, our lead animator, character animator, or gameplay animator, and we, we looked at him and we were like, wouldn't it be awesome if she just, like, walked up and, like, touched it and kind of played with it? Because that, that's what kids do, yeah. right? And we can put little sounds on that and kind of make it happen. It helps involve the story a little more. It becomes more tactical. More, I'm sorry, not tactical, tactile yeah. and more real when she touches something and you hear feedback from it. And it's just those kind of moments where, you know, you can make things come alive more as a story. It's, it's very small, but it helps. It's, it's great to do that stuff. No, I mean, you can definitely notice those little tiny details. They really do bring it so much more to life than if, like you say, they were just standing there looking at it and talking about it, which is, is not yeah. what you would do. Is if you, Like you say, if you found something and you're like, oh, there's that, you wouldn't just stand there and stare yeah. at it. <laughs> you would yeah. go out with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Does this mean that The Last of Us is your most challenging project, or was there something early on because it was early on that was more challenging because of the situation, if you know what I mean? Or as I said, you know, I and this is just my personal philosophy, but to me, mediocrity is the enemy. I think if I'm not pushing myself or I'm sorry, guys, to say this, but if I'm not pushing the people who are working with me around me uh, to some degree, you know, and, and put, take him out of the comfort zone and I, that, that extends to myself, then I don't think we're doing the best job we possibly can. And, and games, games are, de- are inherently, I think, more challenging because you have to strip away a lot of what you would do in a linear media because you can't just make this huge movie unless you're working on the cinematic. You have to break it down into its working parts and let it be interactive and, and trust the technology is going to take care of your sound and make it sound okay. Yeah, I, I would, I would I, honestly, I would say The Last of Us is the most challenging just because of the level of work we were trying to achieve in the game. Yeah. The level of believability that we had to keep up to keep the player immersed in this world. The challenge to make the player care for these characters in any given situation. And 
the the power to have that tension come across for the player to invest themselves at that very moment when you think that the clicker is going to find you. Yeah. <laughs> that, that that took a lot of work, and I, I you know it's great that it worked out, but boy oh boy, there were moments where we were just like, oh my god, is this working? You know, and are we are we just completely falling on our faces? Yeah, and I think when you have that, when you feel that, when you push yourselves to to succeed in that sort of way, there's there's really no stopping your success. I love for me, I love going on YouTube and watching walkthroughs now. Yeah. And see how, how how people are responding to the game. There's those moments that I know of in the game where it was kind of like, hmm, did we get that? You know, is is that working? And seeing, you know, people's reactions to it, it just from something very, very simple, like some guy picked up the modded pipe with the scissors in Billstown for the first time and he swung it and he goes, Oh, that sounds dangerous. <laughs> you know, just something as simple as that just makes you know makes you feel good about the work and and, and creating an experience that the player will enjoy. And that's what it's about, right? So Definitely. having the viewer just really buy into the crap you're selling. <laughs> so. Well, it definitely seems to be working with The Last of Us. It, it's doing amazingly well already, and it's not been out that long. And I know it's flying off the shelves. And the soundscape and the sounds and the music are a key factor that everyone's already commenting on. So it's definitely a job you yeah. should be proud of. So I mean, we're Very, very proud, great. very humbled, very humbled because – I mean, being on this side of it, you know where all the bones are buried, right? Yeah. <laughs> we, know, we know everything that went wrong. We know everything that, that didn't make it in. We know everything that we tried and failed, right? Because you're going to have those failures. And so the fact that the, uh, the whole of the experience is greater than the sum of its parts and just, just speaks to people is extremely humbling and extremely motivating to, to push yourself to do more next time, right? So it's, uh, it's, it's an amazing experience. It. Sorry. So expect even more next time. Then, you know, you want to push. Uh, yeah, whatever I'm on, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully, whatever I'm working on will will be, you know, just just as challenging and, you know, cross my fingers. You know, hopefully, it's successful. But uh, can't bank on it, right? So we we we, we try our best. Well, you definitely set the bar very high with The Last of Us. So we're always looking to your next project. I'm assuming you obviously can't tell us what's in the pipelines at the moment. So definitely look forward to what's coming up. Well, there's always things in stores, so we'll, we'll just have to see kind of what happens and, and what, what opportunities are presented, and, and we'll just keep pushing because, I mean, as I said, I mean, mediocrity is the enemy. If you, it, sometimes, sometimes, you know, things get pulled out of your hands and you have to say good enough, but uh, for the most part, those are like, if, if I was on, what is it, inside the actor's studio, <laughs> if they asked me, what are your, what's your worst, the, the words you hate the worst, it would be good enough. Yeah. So... We, we keep pushing, and that's what I encourage other sound designers to do: is is do your best. Just do your best. Keep pushing. Sometimes you're going to fail. Sometimes you're going to succeed. And it's just those accidents that happen. And you put yourself out there and work hard. It's just it really it's a really a function of working hard and being creative. So definitely, that kind of uh, led me on to my last question I was going to ask, which would be: What is your top number one tip for aspiring sound designers who want to get to where you are? Coffee and lots of it. <laughs> now, I, I would say push yourself. Push yourself. Be creative. There's not just one tip. I, I, you can't really just think of one tip for it because it's all so integrated. Study storytelling. Be encouraged. 
you know, be, uh, put yourself, put yourself in positions that you don't like. And I'm not talking dangerous. I'm not talking, uh, you know, put, technologically wise, try and learn new things. There was early on uh, in my career, I think it was 1999 or so, I, w- I went to a, a symposium by the American Film Institute talking with sound designers and Gary Rydstrom from Skywalker was there and Dane Davis from Dane Tracks was there and there were, I think uh, Walter Murch was there too. But um, Gary Rydstrom uh, said something, it was so simple, it was so like, duh, which has stuck with me this entire time is because you do, as a sound designer, you do a lot of recording, you do a lot of picking up sounds and you know, and you might record, like, let's say, oh, this rice cooker really makes this awesome hissing sound, right? But, you know, just in yourself, be creative. Don't call it rice cooker A, hiss. Yeah. You know, call it ghost screams or something in, something to, that feels creative, that pushes you in a, in, a, in a motive way. I think, you know, trying to be creative, work hard, give it your all. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. You just have to be there, no matter the size of the project, uh, no matter the budget of the project. Um, If you take it on, kill it. Just make it work. Make people proud of you. Make yourself proud. I think that's, that's a huge, huge part of doing great work because it doesn't matter if it's a cartoon or anything else. I mean, you can, you can do it and just have to, just have to give it your all. Brilliant. (laughs) That's an amazing amount of tips there. That's brilliant. Well, Philip Kovacs, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you today. We really appreciate you uh, giving up your time to talk to us. And thank you very much. This will be online in the next week. Hopefully you're happy with all the questions we've asked today. And No, it's great. I, I, it was awesome. Thank you very much for the opportunity. It's, it's great to do something like this because, I mean, to be able to talk with, with you know, fellow sound audio geeks yeah. and bring the process alive, right? Because that's what we want to do. That's, that's what I want to do is I want to help further our industry and help further sound to be a better part of the, of the medium. We're all storytellers and we're all part of this experience. And to make an experience better for us and shine for us is great. So... It's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's the main idea of why I'm doing these interviews for the Sound Architect is to literally bring the behind the scenes to the forefront and people can, like you say, bring the sound design to life and learn more about the process. And especially for us sound designers, that we learn more from the industry side you've, you've gained experience in as well. So it's been a All massive right. help. So, and it's been, like I said, Thank an you. absolute pleasure. And uh, we look forward to your future work. Thank you very, very much. It was great to be a part of this and, and big success for you. So. Thank you very much. Maybe see you. You're very welcome. Take care of yourself. (laughs) All right, bye. You too. Take care.